0: This sermon is titled, James, Chapter 3, Be Enriched As You Listen. A very good morning to all of you. Everybody's happy, looking forward uh, to uh, worship the Lord, to, you know, every Sunday morning, um, all, every day actually, is an opportunity for us to encounter God, an opportunity for us to ask God to reveal more of Himself, an opportunity for us to receive from Him and an opportunity for us to give, right, what we receive from the Lord. And, and so also today, collectively, we get to do this collectively together as a family. So um, so why don't we pray and get started, right? Let's, uh, let's pray. Father, we thank You for this uh, opportunity that You've given us to encounter You, God. To encounter You, Your presence, Your power, Lord, through the time of worship. Lord, to encounter You and Your presence, O God, when we look into Your Word, O God. When Your Word is being read, when Your Word is being declared, O Father God. When we make that declaration, O Father God, an opportunity for us to, Lord, to receive, O God, what You've designed for us, O Master, to the proclamation of the truth of Your Word. And Lord, we thank you that as we look into your word, as we study your word, oh God, as we meditate upon your word, and as we do your word, Lord, we thank you that you've called us, Lord, to make our way prosperous, God. And we thank you, Lord, that you are there to encounter, to meet with us, to show us who you are and what you can do for us and what you want us to be, Lord, in your will, in your plan, and your purpose. And so, God, we, we, uh, we pray that you would open our hearts, God, even as we come, Lord, open our eyes to see you, open our ears to hear you, God, and to know you, Master. We thank you. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen, amen. You know, we've been uh, studying the book of James, right? Uh, and for those of us who uh, tuned in online, maybe this is your first Sunday, uh, for all the first time visitors, we've been studying the, studying the book of James. And typically, you know, in church, if you, if you see the pulpit calendar, we, um, we do some topical studies, right? We study about a topic. Like the last time we, uh, we studied about the authority, like the believer's authority, God-given authority. So we do uh, topical studies which enable us to go deeper in the Word and, uh, and find out more about that particular topic. We also do uh, inspirational or motivational or, uh, uh, you know, messages that are, that are encouraging us, uh, that encourage us or maybe a now Word of God right? Uh, We do that from time to time. But we also do like what we are doing right now, which is a book study where we look into the text, we see the Word of God, we we learn about the author, the historical background, the context in which the book was written, and we do that uh, verse by verse. So, that will enable us to understand more about that particular book uh, all the background and everything. And uh, uh, and also, even as we read, you know, sometimes it can be multiple topics, right, covered in a chapter. I'm sure you would have noticed that. But it will result in us being a congregation as believers who know the Word of God, who know the written Word of God, who, and uh, as we study together, right? So, so, this is why we do that uh, from time to time. And um, and we've been looking at the book of James, right? We saw um, uh, just a quick, very quick review. We saw the book of James. We, uh, who wrote the book of James? Okay, so James wrote the book of James, and who was James? James was uh, the half-brother of the Lord Jesus, one of the siblings, right, Um, of uh, Mary and Joseph. So, we saw that uh, the Lord Jesus had four other brothers, and we see that mentioned that in Scripture, and sisters as well. So, he was one of them. And I'm sure that James, you know, growing up, as a sibling, you know they must have had times of teasing, bullying, uh, playing pranks on each other, etc. But there came a point when, uh, during the earthly ministry of the Lord Jesus, when all the brothers they did not believe in Him, right? As He said, "This is the ministry. This is what I've come to do." They did not believe in in Him. Um, they, but there was also a time when James encountered the risen Lord. And that completely changed his life. It changed his life so much that he addresses himself as a bond servant of God and of the Lord Jesus. In chapter two he says, my brethren do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Right? See, he, he sees the Lord Jesus for who he truly is. He comes to that place, right? And he writes this book to Primarily, the, a Jewish audience, you know, a people who have from the Jewish background who've come to place their faith in the Lord Jesus. So we studied chapter one, and we, and we looked at various things like uh, James addressing, okay, what to do when you fall into various trials, uh, what to do when you fall into temptations. And, and he also closes the chapter with three important things, you know, don't be deceived. Don't deceive yourself, and he mentions three things right uh, self deception the greatest deception of all and he says that if you uh, think that god is the one who is tempting you and god is the one who is causing you to fall into sin then you're deceiving yourself right that's not the truth the second thing he says is if you are a hearer of the word and you don't do the word you don't obey the word then you're deceiving yourself you know many times we you know, uh, intellectually, we critique the word. We say, wow, it's beautiful, just like many armchair sports people. You know, the way he held the ball, brother, you know, that, uh, that was wrong. <laughs> you know, uh, we might critique the word and say, that was beautiful, lovely. But then he says, you know, if you're not doing, if you're not obeying, according to what the word instructs, then you, again, you're a, you deceive yourself. And then he says, uh, thirdly, he says that if anyone thinks he is religious, but if you do not bridle your tongue right hold back rein in your tongue meaning the kind of words that you speak the kind of things that you utter the kind of pronouncements that you make if you don't rein in that then your religion is useless and you're deceiving your own heart okay, that was chapter 1 and chapter 2 last sunday uh, we looked at how uh, he's addressing something. You know, we, we see that uh, as we go through these books, we see that uh, we can actually understand a little about the author themselves, their temperament and, and their habits and so on. So, you know, when you look at James, we see that James is a very observant person, right? So, uh, I don't know how many of you do that, but when somebody walks into the room, he's looking at the others. Right, he's not looking at the person walking in, but he's looking at the others. And this is what he states: you know, if uh, someone comes into an assembly, and you you know you give him preferential treatment, and if someone else comes into an assembly who is you know who is poor, who is not wealthy, and you don't treat him right, and then he goes on to address you know how and what we should do. That uh, when we do that, when we are not um, treating them right, uh, you are actually being a judge with a wrong set of standards. He says you are judging with evil thoughts. Your reasoning is evil, right? And um, so, uh, last Sunday we would have seen that, um, I think this is where we ended, where James says, if you're showing partiality, let's say based on how someone is on their outward appearance, or how much bank balance a person has, or how much the person can do for you, if you're showing or preferential treatment, He says it very blatantly, you know, it is sin. You are committing sin. And that's verse 9. Okay? So we are going to start, we're going to look at verse 10 onwards. Are you ready? Okay. How many of you have brought your Bibles? You know, uh, printed, digital, uh, absolutely fine. So just let's look into the word, right? We're going to uh, read from uh, verse 10 onwards and uh, we're gonna look at um, yeah, 10 to 13, okay, okay let's start. Uh, For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. For he who said do not commit adultery also said do not murder. Now if you do not commit adultery but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Okay. So from verse onwards, so James is pointing out one particular thing, he's saying, you know, if you pick and choose your law, right, you say, this is my favorite thing, and I'll obey it, and well, this, I'm not so sure. I can gloss over it, saying if you pick and choose, and if you break one thing, don't you know that you break the whole law? Right. So he's talking about the law of Moses, and and they, which they were familiar with, which they knew. So he's writing to them, and he's saying, you know, you don't you know that when you break one aspect of the law, you break the whole law. Okay. He's still continuing. He's addressing the whole issue of relating to people, and and so. You know, he's, he's, he says, you break the law. You become a transgressor of the law. And then he says, so speak and so do. Okay, this, is, this is how you need to live your life. Okay, so speak, this is how you need to conduct your life. As those who will be judged by the law of liberty, as those who will be judged by the law of liberty, now you believers you will you know you know that the the law of Moses well that we're not going to be judged by that because in any case, when we stand against that we say we, we stand condemned as transgressors, but we as believers in the new covenant in this new dispensation, we are going to be judged by this what is called as the law of liberty, the new covenant and um, So you conduct yourself as those who will be judged by this. And what is this law of liberty? He's referring to the new covenant and then also in the previous chapter in verse 25 when he's talking about the word of God, he's he's talking about it as the perfect law of liberty. You you look into that perfect law of liberty and you continue in it, not being a forgetful hearer but a doer of the work, right? So he's talking about the new covenant and he's saying, you know, you will be judged by this and he calls it the royal law. I think that's what we saw last Sunday. The royal law, or the first law, or the one that, is, that comes from, uh, from the king himself. So it applies to us. You know, the best part of being judged by the law of liberty is this, right? We stand condemned, each one of us, as transgressors. But being judged by the law of liberty we have been extended something, we have been, we, you know, God reaches out with something, and that is grace, and mercy, and forgiveness. Right. We stand condemned, but God reaches out with His grace, and His mercy, and forgiveness. So, when we are judged by the law of liberty, we are extended mercy and forgiveness in abundance. And, the, and, the, and he says that, you know, when so also you must, you know, with this, you know, even as you conduct your life according to this law of liberty, so also you must do. When you stand condemned, maybe there are those who are standing condemned, but you need to extend mercy and grace and forgiveness. Just like how you received grace and mercy and forgiveness, now go ahead and extend that grace and mercy and forgiveness to others, right? So he's saying in verse 13, for judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy, right? And the Lord Jesus in his earthly ministry, time and again he taught us, you know, even the, the, what we call as the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our debtors even as we forgive, right? And um, you know, some interesting conversations with Peter. You know, with Peter, it is always interesting conversation. Right? Uh, it is always some something we don't know what's gonna happen. But Peter comes and asks the Lord, How many times should I forgive this guy? Seven times? 24 hours, seven times, is it okay? You know, once every three hours maybe. But the Lord says, you know, no, 70 times seven. And goes on to explain to Peter, you know, this is how it is. Is this Rich man who who um, this rich man's servant, and he ho and he owed the rich man twenty thousand talents. Okay, and one talent is like six thousand dinari, and uh, somebody calculated and it's apparently some three fifty thousand dollars one one talent, you know, equivalent to that. Now, this was in two thousand fifteen, so now we don't know the currency rate, but. This is what, he says, 20,000 talents, he, he owned, uh, he owed uh, 10,000 talents, sorry. And the man asked forgiveness. When he could not pay, uh, the master was ready to punish him, but he fell at his feet, he asked forgiveness, and the master forgave him. He said, that's it, you don't have to repay. Not only did he forgive, he just removed the debt. You don't have to repay. But this man, forgiven man, went... To another person who owed him hundred dinari. Okay, so how much is one talent in terms of dinari? Six thousand dinari. Right? And here's this person who owed him hundred dinari, and he threw him into, into prison. He caught hold of him and treated him very shabbily. Threw him in prison, and so the The rich man, the master got to hear of it, all the servants complained, and he went and he said, You know, I forgave you of this. Should you not do the same thing to the other person who needed forgiveness? Right? So, James here is saying, You know, we need to extend mercy, we need to extend forgiveness. And in the same manner, we stand under the law of liberty in the same manner that we have received forgiveness, the way we have been forgiven. Now, oh, that's, a, that's a hard-hitting lesson, right? And um, I realize that as we read James that many things are hard-hitting. Count it all joy when you fall into trials. Ouch. <laughs> that, like, takes the wind out of you, right? And similar things. And so here also he says, the way you've been forgiven you know, extend mercy. And if we do not extend mercy, how can we expect mercy to be extended to us? Says, judgment, you know, when it comes to judgment, mercy triumphs, mercy triumphs, or mercy takes dominion. The Passion Translation um, uh, renders this verse like this. So by showing mercy, You take dominion over judgment. And the Lord himself said, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. So, all of us, we stand judged and condemned, but God's mercy has triumphed over us. So, mercy triumphs over judgment. And when we meet with others, and when we, we, other believers, or, uh, you know, and when we know that, yes, uh, they stand condemned, or they stand... uh, in a place of wrongdoing, and uh, while we could judge them, we are expected to extend mercy, amen. And and then James moves on to address another thing about, another topic about faith and works, okay? So we looked at uh, uh, the law of liberty and how we are expected to extend mercy and forgiveness, and then James addresses something about faith and works, okay? Are we ready to look at that? Okay, so let's look at verse 14. What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, if you have faith and I have works, show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. So he's talking about faith, and faith that expresses itself. faith that demonstrates itself in good works. He's talking specifically in this context about charitable works, taking care of people's needs. And in doing so, he asks two questions. What are they? First question, can someone claim to have faith? Okay. Can you claim to have faith and not demonstrate or engage in good works? Right. That's the first question, verse 14. The second one, you know, can faith that does not engage in good works, can this faith save someone? Is it genuine faith? Is it saving faith? Right. So that's the question he's asking. So let's look at verses 15 to 17. Right. So he says that this is how it is. If a brother or sister is destitute, is, you know, is in deep need and lacks clothing and lacks food, and how can you just say, be warmed and filled? You know, if you do not give the things that they need, you know, clothing or food, or if, they do not, if, they, if you do not give them, how will this profit them? Right? How will it benefit them? And he says, faith by itself, if it does not have these kind of works, it is dead. It's dead, it's not productive, it's not fruitful. Okay. So, it's like faith and works are two sides of the same coin. Right? If you have one coin, if you have a coin, and one side of it is printed, and the other side is plain, guess what? If you give it to someone, they're gonna give it back. Right? Even if there's someone, I remember you know, once, um, uh, there's someone who was at the signal, I think, and and uh, I just I had some some uh, coins, and I, I just gave one coin, and it was actually the coin of I think it was uh, you know some other currency, right? I, I don't know how it was there, but then this person just threw it back. He said, "Run, ye nakli hai," you know. So if they do that, but just imagine what the reaction will be. You know, sometimes you know you give you know, less than what they expect. You know, very angry response, right, sometimes. You know, you keep it yourself. I don't want it. Just imagine if one side is printed, there's inscription, and the other side is plain. Wow. So it has no value. We know it's not genuine. It has no value at all. And so also James is saying, right, you know, faith, it has to have works. It has to be expressed in works. It has to find expression in works. If not, um, It doesn't have value. It is not saving faith. Now, we know that we are not saved by works, and James is not alluding to that, right? Because he has had an encounter with the Lord, right? He's had an encounter with the risen Lord, and and you remember, you know, the early church, and they were all uh, sitting there, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. They prayed in tongues and spoke out in tongues, and amazing things happened, even as they were baptized by the Spirit. So they know it was not works, He knows it's not works that saves a person. So, what is he saying? He's saying that, you know, this saving faith has to have expression in works. I can't have some intellectual acknowledgement and saying, you know, I believe in God and not really have my life transformed to express itself in works. And specifically, he's talking about charitable works here, right? So... So, James is saying, you know, that's the kind of faith that will save. And very interesting, verse 19, he says, you believe in one God? Hallelujah. Your theology is the same as the demons. They also believe the same thing. You know, if you remember, recall, uh, the sons of Sceva, right? They went and they they tried to throw out a demon. And uh, we come to you in the name of Jesus, whom, you know, Peter preaches or Paul preaches and it becomes disastrous, right? Uh, they go bleeding and, and all clothes torn and, and, and they say, you know, Peter we know, Paul we know, but who are you? Right? They did not have that saving faith, but they used you know, this formula and, and tried to do something and that faith did not give them the authority. It was not genuine faith, you know. Well, it's not the same thing, but, but this is what James is saying, that you need to have faith which expresses itself in good works, and that's genuine saving faith, okay? Okay, so, so that's a challenge for us, you know, to, uh, that, um, that our faith will be genuine, that our faith will demonstrate good works, um, charitable works. Then he goes on to talk about another thing, okay? Turn to your neighbor and say, another thing, okay? It's about faith. Okay. He's talking about faith in action, but here he's talking about, you know, uh, faith and works. And uh, not necessarily about charitable works, but, you know, what you need to do because of your faith in the Lord. You know, taking that step, taking that action, you know, that action step. So, we're going to read from verse 20 onwards, okay? So, verse 20, but do you want to know, a foolish man You see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. Likewise, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? For as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. So faith without works is dead also. And um, here... He's talking about the faith, the actions that need to accompany faith. If you say you believe in Jesus, if you say that you believe in the risen Lord, you believe in the Word of God, what are those actions that need to accompany your belief in Him? What are those things that need to accompany your faith in Jesus? Right? So he's saying, you know, if it does not accompany those actions, or if actions do not accompany, you know, your faith, then that faith is dead. Faith without works is dead. And he's quoting uh, two examples here. One is Abraham, the other one is Rahab, okay. So, I- Abraham, everyone was familiar, uh, Jewish, um, uh, you know, ancestor, uh, father of faith, and uh, in fact, James's own, uh, you know, ancestor, through his father Joseph. You know, you see that ancestral line uh, mentioned in Matthew chapter one. So, um, so he mentions about Abraham, and, he, and this is what he says, that Abraham believed God. Okay, so when God asked him to offer Isaac, what did he do? Okay, you see that the works accompanied that faith. He believed God. When, when God asked him to offer Isaac as a sacrifice, he, his belief translated into works. He did so. He offered him at the altar. And therefore, uh, um, James says, you know, it brought him, he was justified by that work of faith. Right? But if you look at that verse, you know, verse 24, you see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith, only if we look at it in, in isolation, then we'll be in all kinds of problems. See, right? he's not preaching uh, salvation of works, but he's saying, you know, your faith. When you say that you have faith in God, then what is that action that is following through? Saying this is what Abraham did. Abraham believed God, and when it was when God instructed him to do something, he expressed his belief by obeying him. It must have been a difficult choice. But he believed God. He trusted in Him. He knew who he has believed. And he said, okay, I'll do this. And he was counted as righteous, and he was justified. And verse 21, we see that uh, James Wright, and he says, this faith, because of this work, it was made perfect. Meaning it became complete. It was not one-sided. It was not lacking anything. It became Perfect, mature, right? And then he goes on to say that this faith, verse 23, he, it, it, it was accounted to him for righteousness and he was called the friend of God. You see, this kind of faith which resulted in action. Amen? So, um, the next person he talks about is Rahab and a very unlikely person because, uh, you know, she was a harlot a uh, uh, non-Jewish person, but uh, she is there again in the ancestry, in the lineage, and and because of what she did, because of the faith that she had. You know, they had heard about the Israelites, you know, she was in Jericho, they had heard about the Israelites, and what God of the Israelites had had, had been doing, and the kind of conquest that they've been having, and she had heard that, and when the... Um, Israelites went there, she gave them refuge and sent them out another way, she protected them from the people of the land, uh, from the soldiers, and uh, Bible records, scripture records, to say that this act of hers was an act of faith, right? What she did was because of the faith that she had, and the works that followed her faith saved her. Of course, physically, you know, her life was saved, when, when Joshua and the, and the Israelites, when they came and attacked, but uh, her life is mentioned in Hebrews 11. Her faith is mentioned in Hebrews 11, saying that, you know, this was a woman of faith. So when we put both their lives together, we see that, you know, faith and works working together. Faith and works making faith complete. Okay? Some things that we can see, when we act our faith, we come to a place of good standing with God. We demonstrate our good standing with God when we act our faith. We are exactly where God wants us to be. And faith and works, they work together. They go together. We cannot alienate one from the other and say, you know, this is better, that is better. For faith and works go together. And we also see that faith is made perfect And God befriends those who act their faith. And faith without works cannot be productive. It's not fruitful, it cannot produce. So we are challenged today to to walk out our faith in practical ways. To demonstrate our faith in practical ways. And not say, you know, I have faith. I'm a man of faith or a woman of faith and not Isolate ourselves from the works that need to follow. Okay, okay, everyone there. Okay, so that's uh, that's a challenge for us, right? To introspect and say, okay, how can I now demonstrate my faith? How can I put my faith, uh, work out my faith? I have faith in God for this. I have faith in God for this other thing. Now, how can I step up? I step out and work out my faith. Walk in faith. And sometimes it's, it's not the most comfortable thing, right? When we want to step out and walk in faith, it's, it really goes against everything that we've been taught sometimes. Right? It goes against our self-preservation at times. It goes against all that that, uh, you know, we have probably, you know, worldly wisdom that we might have, but, but it's, it goes against our comfort zone. We are stretched. Well, that's what faith is, Okay, um, we, we're going to look at chapter three. How many of you are ready for chapter three? Okay, or is everyone tired? <laughs> okay, uh, so we'll look at, uh, uh, we'll see how far we could go in chapter three, okay? So let's look at chapter three. Chapter three, book of James, um, verse one onwards, okay, verses one and two, okay, Let's read. My brethren, let ma- not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. Okay. So let's, um, let's pause there and, and look at what uh, James is writing. It says that, let not many of you become teachers. Is warning, um, you know, those who are who claim to be teachers, who want to be teachers. Um, it is definitely an honor to teach the word of God. Yes or no? Yeah. And it's an overwhelming thing, uh, daunting thing to teach the word of God, to preach the word of God, because you know that you're handling the truth, and it, it's going to cut you both ways. But here he's saying that, you know, he is alluding to what the Lord Jesus would have taught, Lord Jesus says in Matthew 5 and verse 19, whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So what is he he saying? He's saying that the Lord is saying, first you do, you apply it, you obey and then you teach. Do it. Let it be seen in your own life, and then you teach. So James is warning, you know, let not many of you want to become teachers knowing that we receive a stricter judgment. You know, there's a higher standard that we need to hold ourselves accountable to, right? And and then he says that we all stumble in many things, but if someone does not stumble in word, then he's a mature man. He's a mature person. She is a mature person, person who does not stumble in word. And what does that stumble in word mean? You know, it doesn't mean that a person is, you know, uh, not eloquent or inarticulate, no. But it means that a person, by the words they speak, by what they communicate, by what they declare, if they do not fall into sin or cause others to fall in sin, right? if they do not stumble in word, then what happens is that they are mature. By the words they speak, by the communication like they, they, they have, they are mature. They are able to bridle the whole body. So everything about them, their imagination, their thoughts, their appetites, and everything, they are able to bridle if they are careful about the kind of words and the kind of communication they have. Right? Praise God. So, there seems to be a connection between our thinking, our speaking, our actions. It's all interconnected, and it's connected to the words that we speak. So, he's saying, you know, if you do not stumble, if anyone does not stumble in word, then this person is perfect, able to bridle the whole body just like how there's a bit or a bridle that is put in a, in a horse and he goes on to talk about it in the next few verses, right? Um, so here we go, verse three. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us and we turn their whole body. Look also at ships. Although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder Right? So he's explaining the power of the tongue. You know, the, he's comparing the tongue to a bit in a horse's mouth. He's comparing the tongue to a rudder in a ship. And he's also saying the tongue is, you know, like a forest fire. Okay. So a bit in the horse's mouth and a rudder in a ship. So what do they do? He's saying, your tongue is like this. Of course, he's talking about the words that we speak, right? The things that we speak. Um, so he's saying it's like... Uh, a rudder it controls it directs we we sometimes we think okay you know we use our words only to communicate things right and um, and sometimes we have very minimal words some of us right uh, the complaint is that you know husbands finish all the words and come back home and they have you know very few left do you want something mm mm mm-hmm, you know but the thing is this we think that we use words to communicate but the words that we speak they are like bits and rudder the bits in a bit in a horse's mouth it actually directs the course of life okay so when we when we when that when that sinks into us then we will use our words well the words we speak we will we will choose we will use our words well and we'll be careful about the kind of words that we speak, right, because it directs us, it controls us, and it is so small, like a bit or a rudder, but it's powerful. The words that we speak are powerful, and, and you know, every Sunday we make our declaration, and, and, and the teaching that it accompanies is, is, is just to help us understand you know, our words are powerful. It can be used, it can be edifying, it can be used for good, but it can be used for tearing down lives as well, right? The words that we speak. So, he's saying that the word, the, the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. And, and he, sorry, before that verse 5, he says, see how great a forest, fi- forest, a little fire kindles. So, it's like a forest fire. You know, when, uh, I think recently, Worldwide, there were some forest fires and, and in one particular place, if, if you look at the cause of it, it was something very, very, very simple, a small spark, uh, uh, a small, you know, some, they didn't even think that it'll, it'll, the destruction will be so much, but they were a little careless and then it sparked a huge uh, devastation, right? it was the start of a huge devastation, devastation you know, acres being devastated. So a forest fire is like that, so a tongue is like that. Our tongue can be like that. So just imagine you speak and then there's, you know, destruction, just think about it. You speak and people are, you know, hit with arrows. Can you just imagine that? You just speak, you know, speak to your children or your you know, spouse and you're saying those words and they're just hit with arrows, just goes in. and. I think if we can picture that, then we will choose our words. So much damage, devastation. and um, yeah, today I, I think we just pray for you know labels and limitations, you know, labels that maybe people have spoken and just hit and is sticking like an arrow. you know we're walking around with arrows in our back and some labels so heavy and Limitation, limiting us you know, like chains, and maybe these were words that were spoken, right? And uh, yeah, we just need to break that, break those labels, and break those limitations. Okay, so so James is saying in verse six saying, you know, a tongue is a fire. It's a world of iniquity. So he's talking about an evil tongue. Uh, he's talking about evil words being spoken. He's talking about negative things being spoken. He's talking about words that are ripping a person down. He's saying it's a world of iniquity. And he also says this. He says, you know, it's, it, is, um, it sets on uh, fire the cause of nature, and it is set on fire by hell itself. Right? Now, if this were true of the words we speak, it's talking about negative words, it's talking about an evil, a tongue, but if we can just flip it over, if our words can be so powerful, if we would speak edifying words, if we would speak blessing, if we would communicate with grace and regard, the opposite is true. The opposite is true, right? We will speak edification. There will be an impartation of grace. Ephesians four talks about that. Verse 29 says that when we speak edifying words, there's an impartation of grace. People are empowered. There's an impartation of grace. So, if we would reword James three and verse six, we could read it like this. And the tongue is a fire. It is a world of blessing, occupying its place in our bodies and spreading blessing through our whole being. It sets on fire the entire course of our existence with a blessing that comes from the Word of God itself. Hallelujah. Amen. So that just stirs us up, right? And I'm sure we've seen it in practice, you know, you can sometimes enter into a room and you know that, wow, there's been some intense communication. Words have been fired. Right? You, you, you can smell the gun smoke, <laughs> gunpowder, you, know, so, you know, it's so thick. But the opposite can be true. There can be so, so much light and rejoicing and refreshing the whole environment, so fresh and flourishing, so full of faith, the air can be cleared when we use words of blessing. It sets on fire the entire course of our existence with the blessing that comes from the Word of God itself. Amen. Praise God that God's Word is spirit, and God's Word is truth, and God's Word is life. And we have the privilege of handling it. We have the privilege of reading it, right? I'm sure you you know, you read through a few verses and you've spoken it out and you see a change in your emotions. Why is that? It's not just positive thinking for the sake of positive thinking or positive speaking or, you know, positive affirmations, you know, which is trending these days. It's here, the root is in the Word of God. The Word of God produces life. Amen. Okay, let's look at verse 7 onward, 7 to 12. It says, verse 7, For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Thus, no spring yields both salt water and fresh. So he's warning us again about the influence of the words that we speak. He says that, you know, it is unruly evil, it cannot be tamed. Well, if it is an evil tongue, if our mind is unrenewed, if our flesh is not crucified, if you're not giving in to the leading of the Holy Spirit, definitely, you know, our our tongue cannot be tamed. And he says, this is what we do. And he's talking to believers. You know, you bless God, you you sing praise, you say the hallelujahs and praise the Lord, but at the same time, you turn to your family and you turn to the ones closest to you you and you speak words that crush them, right? And you speak those words, cursing. Out of that same tongue that blessed God a few minutes back, Now that same tongue is now speaking forth words, that same mouth is speaking forth words that are cursing the brethren. He said, these things ought not to be so. Because the fresh water, a spring does not send fresh water and bitter water or salt water. You know, a fig tree, it does not bear olives or grape does not bear figs, you know that, so therefore, you know, your word, your, your tongue is meant to speak edifying words, speak edifying words. And, and, and I just wanted to say that, you know, our words, uh, you know, there are many things that really influence our words, our thoughts. What are the things that we are listening to all the time? You know, if you're listening to, let's say you're listening to songs which are violent, which are songs which are, you know, which have a lot of profanities in it, but you like the beat. Right? say, I'm just listening to the music. But no, those words are having an effect. Those words are influencing our thinking, which is now finding expression in the words that you speak, right? So the things that we see, again, influence our thinking and what we speak. The things that we read, maybe, things that we hear, right? So we need to be careful, we need to be discerning. Otherwise, we'll be like this spring, which is not how it's designed to function. We were not designed to function that way. We are designed to speak forth the attributes of God. And we are created as ones who are, you know, out of darkness into light, who are royalty, who are kings and priests, to speak forth the attributes of God to declare the attributes of God, right? And God will help us to speak uh, words that are edifying, to speak blessing if we would just yield to Him, if we would yield our senses, if we would, you know, as slaves of righteousness, as Romans declares, that we would stand before Him as slaves of righteousness and our senses Will be so saturated with the truth of God's word, really so influenced by God's word that when we speak, you know, we will speak edifying words. We will speak blessing, and it will be uh, such a change in our homes, such a change in our families that we will that whole atmosphere will change. It'll be a, a, such a change in our workspaces, right? And um, well, um, next. James is going to talk about that, but I think we'll we'll stop here for now, and uh, we're going to pray right now. Okay, just call the worship team um, to come up, please. Um, so we're going to just sing a, maybe a song of surrender, maybe like. Uh, okay, so um, so right now, you know if you would, want, if you would if you want to apply what we've heard today, maybe there are two things that we can do. One is about faith, right? Faith, how can I put this in action, right? Uh, I, have, I believe God. I believe in my God that He can do this, but what is it that I need to do? Okay, maybe we are, you know, believing for something. Maybe we are believing for some change. Um, so, what is that action? What is God prompting you to do, right? Maybe we're believing for restoration, reconciliation. Uh, what is it that God is prompting us to do, calling us to do, okay? Um, so we can do that. Maybe it's for healing. Okay, I'm going to take this step and in line with the faith, you know, my works are going to be aligned with the faith that I'm placing before God, so, you know, maybe it's something to do with healing and, um, you know, say, God, I'm, I'm going to take this step of faith. The second thing that we can do is to come before God and say, Lord, just fill me, Lord, right now. I yield to your presence, to your power, to your spirit. And uh, I'm talking about labels and limitations and saying, Lord, whatever words were spoken over me, those labels that are pulling me down, you know, those things, those tags, oh no good, useless, you're always this. So we say, God, I just bring it down, I break it. Those things, those restraints, God, I break it in Jesus' name. Let them be taken away. And we're also saying, God, I cleanse my, cleanse my mouth, cleanse my tongue cleanse my mind. God, I want to speak edifying words. I see the damage uh, uh, the words that I speak can cause, the potential of the words I speak. Lord, may it bring forth blessing. Um, May it impart grace to the hearer. And you know, the thing is that when we speak unedifying words, we are, uh, we ourselves personally are damaged by it because we get to hear those words. And so we're saying, "God, change me, God." So, would you like to stand, and as the worship team leads us?
1: to jesus i surrender all to him i freely give and now. I...
0: You know, if you saying, you know, I'm at the end of the road and all I see are darkness and there seems to be no light. I just want to proclaim to you that he is that light. He is that everlasting light. And in him, there is enlightenment, true enlightenment. So there is hope and there is comfort in the Lord. whatever state of mind you are in right now, you know, in Jesus, there is another chance. In Jesus, there is another chance. And like we said, you know, if you believe, then why don't you step out and act out in faith? Maybe you're saying, you know, I've never, I've I've heard about Jesus. Uh, I've been to church, but I've never believed in him you're talking about you know, the Bible says if we believe in our heart and if we confess with our tongue you know we believe in our heart and we speak out and say Jesus is Lord then we are saved we are born again so you can go ahead and say Lord I believe God you know I'm searching for answers I'm at the end of the road and I'm seeing all these things God but I believe God I believe that you are who you said you are, that you died for me on the cross. I believe that you took my sin upon yourself on the cross. And I want to confess with my mouth and I want to say that, Jesus, I believe in you. Jesus, I believe in you. And I invite you into my life. You You can just go ahead and just invite Jesus into your life. He will never do you wrong. Oh, he loves you he loves us he cares for us we are precious to him and you and i are the reason he went to the cross you know he he for this joy that was set before him that that we would spend eternity with him for the joy that was set before him he endured the pain of the cross the shame of the cross bible says so you can go ahead and pray that prayer say jesus come into my heart Change my heart, change my heart, oh God. I surrender my life to you. He will never manipulate, he will never intimidate, but he will direct, he will lead as the good shepherd. And if you say, you know, I've, I've done so many things, you know, I've spoken so many things, and I, and, I, and I look back and I see a trail of, you know, I just see that, but the trees that are burnt because of the words that I've spoken, I see those bodies laying, uh, bleeding because the words that I've spoken, families and friends, and you can come back to Jesus and say, Oh God, I surrender. Oh God, my tongue, let it be an instrument of righteousness. Oh God, may I speak blessing over those loved ones. God. May I speak blessing. You know you can make, you can make that decision, you can make that choice, and the Bible says that if we are willing, that He is able. He gives us the ability to walk this way, Amen, Amen. So why don't we just put our hands up to the Lord, reach out to the Lord as a child does, as a toddler does to the father or the mother, and to reach out to Him and say, God, let my life change, God, and I surrender. Oh, Lord, I come to you and I say, I surrender. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you over and over again. I I surrender. There is transformation All is happening right now Oh Spirit of God You're starting, you're changing Oh, washing away all brokenness and shame It's did not put over us, but people have put maybe, and we ourselves maybe, because of the experience of the past or failures of the past, or we put on ourselves some limitations, some lids, and say, "I can't go beyond this," and this is who I am. And that is not scriptural at all, because uh, the Word of God declares that you are more than conquerors, that we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us, that He will lead us in a triumphant procession in Christ Jesus. Anybody saying Amen to that? And He says, you know, that uh, that He will make you the head and not the tail, right? He says that uh, uh, he, he lead us as the good shepherd, he says that he has come that we might have life and life in its fullness. So, so today we're going to shake off all those shackles and all those limitations and say, God, I just stir myself up today, God. I stir myself up, oh God, and I, I just want to stand as a warrior, a warrior of righteousness, a warrior of faith, oh God, faith in your word, God. Believe me, let faith be renewed right now. You know, even as you take your position and say, God, I stand in faith for my family. I stand in faith as a warrior for the loved ones oh God I stand in faith oh God oh God oh oh my own life oh God and I want to declare your word your promises right hallelujah thank you lord thank you God we praise you we praise you we give you thanks we bless your name we bless your name Jesus yeah Mm -hmm. all to thee my blessed savior Lord, I surrender all. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you His shalom. Amen. Maybe walk in faith, and maybe be dispensers of the aroma of Christ and dispensers of the blessing of God in every place. Amen. Thank you for listening. We trust this message was a blessing to you. For more free resources, including sermons, sermon notes, and books, please visit apcwo.org. For information on APC Bible College in Bangalore, visit apcbiblecollege.org. Do remember to download the All People's Church Bangalore app from the Apple or Google Play Store.